This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Vores. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR, our brilliant PR podcast that's going from strength to strength, if I do say so myself. My name is Lyle Fulton, and as ever, I am joined by the wonderful Jackie Vores. Jackie, who, listeners, if you are watching via YouTube, is sporting, and we've already discussed this pre-recording, you know, an incredible ensemble of glasses, (laughs) star-style jumper hat, as ever. Jackie, other than being dressed fantastically, how are you doing? this fine Friday afternoon. I put this on to sort of try and compete with Chris James from um, Steel Media and Pocket Gamer Connects and PocketGamer.com. I was just doing a a messaging and positioning session with him and his team, and he was all wearing his Christmas jumper, so I thought I better get dressed up. I was the only one, apart from Chris, that made the effort. There you go. Hey, I mean, at the end of the day, you're the one there putting it out, as we've discussed before this recording with our guest, who we'll introduce you to in just a moment's <laughs> time. PR, it's all about the image, you know, sort of forward-facing, public-facing <laughs> image. Very right? good segue. And, see, I'm a segue, I'm a segue fiend. I do love a segue. And uh, speaking of segues, now seems like a brilliant time to introduce you listeners to our wonderful guest, because we are joined by the brilliant Richard Neve from Cognito Media. Richard very very warm welcome to the podcast how are you this friday afternoon how are you doing splendid well friday afternoon here from a very sunny but brisk amsterdam doing well yeah Thank i was you. gonna say yeah you're, you're joining us from from amsterdam over in uh, the netherlands is it as cold over there as it is currently over here in the uk i woke up this morning was out in my car minus five this morning yeah well the answer is yes <laughs> <laughs> no. i mean we're struggling over here. I live in a flat where it's kind of like we're playing a central heating roulette. Uh, sort of, uh, how, you know, how how long do we leave the heating on uh, with the way the world is? We won't get into that. There you go. Jackie's got the hot water bottle there ready to rock and roll. Um, Richard, like I said, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, you work for the magnificent Cognito Media over in yeah. the Netherlands. We're going to kick things off like we normally do with our guests. Just asking you to tell us a little bit about your story so far, your career so far, how you came to work at Cognito, and basically a little bit about what you're doing there at the moment. Happy to, happy to. Well, I start my career, as many, many other professionals in, in public relations, as a journalist. I mean, that's the only thing I wanted. I wanted to be a journalist. I was 17 and finished my high school. I want to be a journalist. So I started with a regional newspaper at some point moved to a national newspaper. And although I started, like I said, when I was 17, I always continued to study. So I studied uh, economics and business. So I got at the editorial team, the business stories, because they thought. Uh, So basically, three years in my journalistic career, everybody thought he is in finance, banking, business uh, into that. And basically built my career in journalism until I was about 27. And I got a little bit fed up. As in, journalism was sort of interviewed several famous people, did some national scoops. I mean, I I did what you could do in a full journalistic career, but I was only 27. And then a mate of mine who was in London working for NBC, the NBC Europe, the American broadcaster, he had a huge issue in his team. And he said, why don't you come and help me? And to be really honest, I thought, you know what? Journalism is still my first love, but PR is a way better mistress. 
Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the right answer. That is the correct I just, answer. For I this podcast. just sort of started in PR and it was like drinking it in. So I then did two and a half years at, at NBC running the Nordics, Benelux and France. Uh, we did so from the London office in Hammersmith and then uh, started my first own agency merged it with a Belgian agency, which we then sold to CityGate, stuck it out for quite a while, CityGate and Grayling, left, bought a part of a smaller boutique agency that had offices in London and Amsterdam, City Savvy. Due to sort of circumstances, we split up that agency. So the London office was sold and the Amsterdam office sort of, I, I got, no, I don't want to say stuck with, but but I <laughs> kept that, that operation going. And with a new business partner, merged that Dutch entity into Cognito Media. Uh, we did so in 2017. And Cognito is a specialized agency that I would say focuses completely on where financial services merges or collides with technology. So all our clients are on that crossroads of technology and, and, and financial services. So funky, fizzy drinks, fashion, lifestyle des uh, destinations, we don't do. We do fintech, financial technology, and that's what we like. Fantastic so stuff. That's Brilliant. the story. That's the story. I mean, I, I love that as well. I love that from Richard. Yeah, that's, you know, that's just the story. You know, that's that's all that happens. <laughs> uh, I'm like, that, that sounds like a, just an incredible trajectory and journey. I mean, I have so many things to, to pull up through that. I mean, one of the big things, this is a small tangent, and as you will learn in the next sort of half an hour to 40 minutes, I do love a tangent. My dad actually worked at Citygate, but I don't think there was crossover. I don't think the dates when, matched when? up. I think my dad might have, he's going to hate me because I actually rang him this week and was like, I'm talking to this guy, <laughs> Richard Neve. He works for Cognito, but I think he he started his own agency and then sold it to Citygate. And he was like, mm, Citygate, as you know, I worked for Citygate. And he was like, this is going to sound really bad. He's like, I really hope we didn't work there at the same time or like sort of there at the same time because he's going to know all sorts of bad stuff about who I am. But yeah, I think he joined 2008, 2007, 2008. So yeah. I left. So no, I, I saw. I saw... We met, wasn't it, Rich? When did we meet? We met ages, years ago. Uh, I think just, just around that time after, after I left Grayling. City Gate because I moved with the thing is that so I sold we initially so me and my Belgian partner so the combined Amsterdam Brussels agency we sold to City Gate but City Gate already had an entity in Amsterdam so they were really after the Brussels entity and less after the Amsterdam entity and within the same group Huntsworth that was also Grayling mm. so the Amsterdam agency was after about two years basically became the Grayling Amsterdam office. Uh, obviously, with lots of ties between us and Citygate, but my team and the people were way better fitted in that, let's say, grailing arena. And then, of course, I left at the end of my earnout and stuff. And 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 then I was with City Savvy, and that's when we met, Jackie, because I spent basically half my time in London. Uh, and then we're talking 2009-ish up all the way up to 2040. Yep, amazing, fantastic. The question I did have though is this: I feel like We've spoken in previous episodes of the podcast about how if you work in PR, you know, something I'm very much interested in, although, you know, this won't necessarily be the music Jackie wants to hear in terms of music to her ears. Like, you know, I'm interested in sort of more journalistic stuff as well, moving forward potentially, which this podcast, I suppose, is in essence, it's sort of a journalistic podcast as well. But we spoke a little bit about PRs, maybe sort of venturing into journalism and sort of that 
way around in previous episodes of the podcast. You're obviously an example of a journalist who sort of moved into PR when it comes to your own career trajectory. Tell us a little bit about that transition, how that was going from being a journalist. Yeah, why did she and... become your better mistress? Yeah, tell us about that. I love that analogy. Yeah, why Why? This why was top, that? This is top of mind to me at the moment because I've just seen, I, I don't think I can talk about it at the moment, but I've just seen a journalist who I rate moving over into a marketing function for a very large company because they feel that it's unsustainable that journalism as a career is not going to sustain them in the terms they need to be sustained. Whereas moving into marketing will will help that career progression and obviously. So how do you feel about that, Richard? Well, at the end of the day, what we do, all three of us and all the thousands of professionals all over the globe in, let's call it PR, is storytelling. Mm. Helping our clients tell their story in various ways and, and channels and some more digital and others more other ways but but it's storytelling yeah the reason i i was very keen to move into journalism when i was very young was i I was i was very curious so i wanted to learn about everything but i also was very keen on explaining stories to others specific the stuff that i thought were worth talking about so journalists tend to be um failed teachers they 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 want to tell about stuff that matters, what they think that matters, and like to explain it to an audience. Obviously, journalism, everybody thinks is a very, let's say, gives a lot of freedom, but actually it doesn't. It's financially constricted, but also the, let's say, rules and the way the playbook of the editorial team is sometimes quite strict. So if you work for The Guardian or for Der Spiegel in Germany, you have to do their stories in their fashion, with their language, uh, and if you want to do something else, they'll say, no, no, no. If you have a different opinion than 80% of the people on the editorial team, you are that weird guy who is always <laughs> not agreeing with the, let's say, corporate editorial line. And they'll make it clear to you. So if you have at some point mid-career, you think, you know what, I just want to tell stories. I want to tell stories about products or companies that I think matter. And I want to have some freedom and I want to have some budget to actually make waves then trans- make the transition to marketing or pr is, is i think very it makes sense that said i came across many 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 public relations professionals in my life but the good ones the strong ones the very smart ones always started out in journalism one way or another because mm. the point is i see a lot of long people and i i have that conversation with people i recruit people that ask me for career advice they then come from a academic communication or marketing background. They can read the statistics. They can explain you in hindsight why the campaign didn't work. But the point is, you need to have to put some years in, in an editorial team. You have to do some writing. You have to know what it is to stand outside uh, the equivalent of either Downing Street 10 or a boardroom in minus five for two hours waiting for whoever comes out for a quote, to actually then understand what it is, how to advise these people, how to help them. So I'm a big fan of academic studies on marketing, PR and stuff. But I also think that for people that want to do this professional, the profession, they need some hands-on experience in life. 
Which is probably why I'm a mediocre PR person. (laughs) I I never got to be a journalist. Well, I say that I did. There was a there was a very famous journalist, NUJ Strike, when I was working in advertising sales in publishing, where we as the ad sales people had to double up as the editorial people. So we'd be selling ads during the day. And then in the evenings, we'd have to write the copy to the magazines. There you go. There you go. So you you did work in journalism. And, 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 and to be honest, I mean, I said journalism, but ad sales. If you actually worked in a position where you... In publishing. Yeah, or in any situation where you actually... The point, it's about the bridging. And that's mm. that's what PR is. Look, it is first understanding where a company or a organization, where it needs for its strategic objectives, where it needs a different behavior of a different audience. Mm. So you need to understand that people need to do something. That's why they hire you. You're not a wedding planner. <laughs> they hire you for a They want a certain audience to have a certain behavior, investors to invest in you, young people to apply for a job, distribution partners to take your product up on shelves. I don't know what. And so you have to know a little bit about business. Then the second thing is then you have to see the story and think, okay, if this is the behavior they want, then this is a story I can feed this audience so they need behave as what what we want them to do. And then I need that. So I see the narrative, the story, and then you have the whole wrapping up the package, make it look nice, put some potpourri in, like in uh, the movie. What's it called? Uh, Love actually, good reference. Love actually, there you Love go. Love that reference from you. Love it. In the in the flashes of flashes. Well, this is a Christmas special. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's the time of the year. So Love so that. it's it's PR is about under, them bridging that narrative from your client to their audience. And hopefully then they behave uh, in the manner that you hope they will. So you need people that understand all those different elements in the equation. And that means that if you come out of the school banks and just studied communications, you only know one thing, not enough. That's it. And we've spoken a little bit as well about audiences being obviously the audience that you take your product or the business to sort of the the consumer side, if you like, but an audience as well, something you've pointed out brilliantly there and what you've just said, an audience is also the media, you know, you talked about bridging, you know, and, and if you understand how you as a media professional in a previous sort of iteration of your career, how you would like to be spoken to. Now you would like to be approached by a PR professional, by a PR agency, then it makes it so much easier to construct, you know, communication to that media outlet, to that media professional, because you know what sort of thing they're looking for. Jackie's spoken about this a lot before. You you know that a particular journalist, if you have that relationship, you might have a great relationship with that journalist, but you're not going to, the reason that relationship is so strong is you're not going to go to that journalist and go run this for me. I know it's nothing like anything you've ever run before, but please do me a favor because you know that's going to strain your relationship with that journalist because you know how you'd like to be spoken to, you know. It's it's relationship, but also interesting. Well, you took off the lid. Um, it's it's a, something I'm, I'm very passionate about. People are more receptive to information and willing to do something for you or to listen or to pay attention and to read when that information comes to them in a fashion packaged, dressed up, that fits the bill. So if you know how a journalist works, 
both not only in his his or her mind, but also, for instance, about what times of the day are, are suitable, or uh, let's say how certain information is is conveniently sort of offered. That means that it's effortless for them. What you send them is in the right format. It comes in a Word or in a PDF document or the logo is already attached, whatever. It comes at a time of day that's fitting the schedule, but takes away a lot of barriers. And if you can also make sure that the whole thing looks the part, what we sometimes see is that clients just don't, they have an amazing story, but they simply don't dress it up properly. And then very journalists and media are humans like you and me, it gets neglected because it's too much. It needs too much, let's say, brain power to unpeel, the, to, un, to open up the package. People then just bin it because there's so much ample supply and stuff. So that's on on, on the on very tactical level. And also that's the same with, with let's say, with, with, with companies. So have people come to us for PR advice, you as well, Jack, your communication advice. And then I always say, you start to act, behave, like what you want to be. I can send out all kinds of material and I can talk to all kinds of journalists. If you want to make that transition from being a funky, hippie and groovy brand to a more serious and institutional brand, but if you simply do not lose the hoodie and do not want to put on a suit, then whatever I do will, at at the best circumstance, will be an uphill struggle, but probably people won't take you seriously. Mm. So, you have to sometimes make sure that on all levels, like you said, you understand your audience and audience is the journalist, but audience is like your actual audience. And people simply, I mean, we're all cliches are there for a reason. People just want to, a banker wears a suit, a car mechanic has some coveralls on. I mean. Exactly right. You're exactly that's right. And sort of leading to Jackie is something Jackie's mentioned quite a lot on the podcast as well is the idea that there are obviously and this is where I was very illuminated earlier in the series of um, of episodes we've been doing. I was like, oh, well, you know, there aren't any specific PR degrees out there to do. And Jackie was like, oh, yeah, there are. There definitely are. Yeah, but but can, I want to just you know. pick up on what Rich was saying and take it one one step further. Mm. And Richard will understand what I'm saying here is that that method that Richard was describing, that packaging up of that piece of information or that story and taking it to the journalist and presenting it in the way that that journalist wants it is so important, but it's also made our job that much more difficult these days because there are so many different channels to journalists provided, for example, some journalists like being contacted via Twitter. Some people, journalists like being contracted via Instagram, via email, via post. It it can really depend on on the journalist and the package they require and the the sort of information they want. My team the other day was shocked to discover that I used to write press releases, take about a month sometimes to get them signed off by various clients because we didn't have the luxury of email and email sending things around so they wanted to see hard copy press releases on paper they didn't we used to sit in the evenings and lick envelopes and put stamps on and photocopy and staple press releases and then select transparencies 
to put in the press releases because we had to choose which which journalists we could send them to because we usually didn't have a budget for more than 50 transparencies. I mean, it was just a different world then. Being there, done that, got the ticket. But the point is, funny enough, you said Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp, uh, I don't know, drumbeat. Clients simply sometimes find it difficult. They say, we want to do a press release. No, you don't. You want to get journalists to run your story. Yes, we want to do a press release. Well, we need to write something down. Let's call it a press release, but we'll slice and dice it because, like you said, specific, for instance, in fintech, financial technology, Twitter is huge. Twitter is a debt. No, 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 no. Twitter is still alive. And in that specific sector, if you have news, you tweet on it. Mm. You can send 17 press releases to fintech today or to Ruby Hinchley for Financial Times. She, she wouldn't read it. But she reads your Twitter feed, and if the story is there, she clicked the link, and she runs the story. And for another company, it might be indeed Instagram, a WhatsApp group. I mean, we as a company even have Slack channels in which journalists are in. Yeah. We Slack the news. Clients go crazy. Tell a bank that you act, tell the compliance That's department Instagram. of a bank. Telegram. Uh, of course, and, and and then tell tell the compliance department of a bank that you actually. Slack and Telegram information out. They go like nuts. I mean, this is blowing my mind. And I'm I like to think I'm fairly up to date when it comes to technology and how things get sent across. And slacking across a piece of news to a journalist, that's the first I've heard of it. But now I'm like, of course that makes total one hundred percent sense. Of well, course no. it makes it makes sense to do no, that. But of course it, it does. It's, you know. It's similar, uh, Lyle. Take, for instance, it's it's where the word spin doctor comes from, where actually people in a PR capacity mingle with the press corps while, for instance, a politician is speaking and they'll give context. For instance, financial journalism, I mean, I'm not in, in hardcore financial journalism anymore, but if the CFO of a listed company is explaining the annual the numbers or the quarterly earnings or whatever it is, Actually, there are people in WhatsApp groups and Slack groups who comment on the spot to make sure that the journalists who are in the same group will follow the narrative of the company. Well, we do it's exist similar. in an era, don't we, where we, people do live tweet things, don't they? People do literally live tweet events as they are occurring. Yeah, but then, then there matter, are also, you know? it's not only live tweet, but there are, even if something is live, regardless which platform, there are other platforms that in gated communities comment on what's happening in the live feed so, so you've not only you, you, you want to be as a good pr person you also want to be in a gated community yeah you um in fintech and in financial pr you do work within set gated communities set very distinct groups of journalists influencers for your clients when you get a new engagement for a client, is that one of so the classic things we always do when we set up a new engagement is obviously go through their messaging positioning. I try to do that a lot with existing clients as well, as uh, as I've talked about in previous pods. But you also do the things like setting up their media list, obviously finding out all their objectives and everything else. But when you're setting up with a fintech or a financial PR client, are you looking at that gated community in terms of setting up Slack channels, WhatsApp groups, all of yeah. that part of your foundation building and, and yeah. preparation? And I would even say, and if it's not there, then we build it. Right. 
So as in, as in, let's say you are asked, many of the stuff we as Cognito do is very niche. Mm. Right? So it's, it's financial technology for wealth managers. Well, believe me, then you're very niche. Yeah. So, so you know the 11 journalists in Europe that cover that. So you start to work for ABC Wealthpack, I don't know. Why not invite those 11 and say, guys, we now will be representing this company. We know you from other, uh, let's call it, projects. Mm-hmm. Why don't you join the ABC Wealthpack uh, app group so when we have something to report, we can send you a message across. 10 out of 11, do it. And, really? and some of them actually say, don't bother with the press release. Just send us, send us stuff here. Put in a link. Put in a photo because they are on their desks getting all that stuff in. And whatever makes them, let's say, a quick copy paste, they always prefer right over the forty-eight hours wait to get a PDF in of a lengthy compliance-approved press release that actually doesn't say anything. So uh, yeah, I mean, you you either use what what's there, or if it's not there, you build it. Do you think that that would be primarily for companies that are already known by that journalist group? No, no, no. The journalist knows me. Right. You're like the the gatekeeper, really, to those relationships. Yeah, as you are with yours. I mean, journalists trust you. And if you call them and say, listen, I've got this amazing story. These guys are building this app in Newcastle. You definitely have to talk to them. It's not the guys in Newcastle they know. They know Jackie. And then that journalist is, you know what? That's interesting because I, I and we might disagree. On this, I don't know. But I try to tell clients of mine, yes, of course, I know lots of journalists and I know lots of influential journalists as well. But I won't use my relationship with them to get a story. I will put something to them that I think they would be genuinely interested in. And I know what their beats are and I know what their rules are and I know what their constrictions are in terms. But I wouldn't encourage somebody to come to me just because I hold those relationships. No, 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 no. Hang on. It, so I'm, I'm, we do agree 100%. Okay. I will never leverage my relationship. I will never use saying, look, this journalist knows me. And because of she or he likes me. No, 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 no. But when it comes to access, when it comes to knowledge, so it's still the story of the client that needs to be enticing enough to convince the journalist to yeah. do it. But the client is oblivious. They don't know. But I know the journalists. I know who they are, how to reach them. Indeed, in what format do they like the stuff to be sent to them? And yeah. still, it's the story that needs to convince them. Do you ever get people coming to you and saying, hey, Richard, you know, you know everybody. Come yeah. on. Yeah, you Use get that. Relationships. Yeah, yeah, you get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, uh, do, how and do you get pushed back? Well, these people... The people that tend to ask those questions, you know, Jackie, <laughs> also ask some other stupid questions as well. So <laughs> most cases, you say politely that you, at this point, lack the capacity in the agency to serve them <laughs> at the level they expect it. Oh, that's so beautifully diplomatic. I love that. That's fantastic. Uh, but I'll tell you another story. I'll tell a nice little story about an American client, huge company. You might have heard of it in the 90s, GE. They were one of my clients in the 90s. So we had a problem in France, and they were my client as well. We had a problem in France. It was quite a big reputational problem. And 
meeting French country managers, some other people in the room, me as that external PR advisor. And yes, flew in from Philadelphia, some very high ranking GE official. And he landed. He was in the office an hour later. He needed 20 minutes, he thought, to be explained what the issue was. And then he pointed at me and said, what's the biggest newspaper in France? I said, well, sir, that's Le Monde. Get me Le Monde on the phone. And I said, well, that's not actually how it works. And he said, why not? We're GE. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might work in Philly, but in France. <laughs> so, so, I mean, so if someone wants you to use your relationship to basically manhandle a journalist in writing a certain story, and in most cases, write it exactly as they dictated. These people have other issues, and then it it is either time to be very firm with them and explain them that that's not the way it works, or simply make sure that, that they go somewhere else. I often find that when I do try to explain very clearly how it works, they want to go somewhere else because they're not getting what they want from me. No, uh, they want a little surf. They don't want a professional. They want someone they can boss around. Yeah, I think it's important for us to educate people to say, listen, you know, it is all about the story and it is all about matching your story to their beat. And if your story isn't interesting to them, then you have to go back to the basics, which is, you know, what is interesting about your story and why haven't you got an interesting story? It's actually quite simple. Um, well, and how, how do you feel about the following? Because I like which it's the story, but the story is sometimes... The point is sometimes also the you need to readjust the media they're aiming for. We have clients, so but the two of you will have as well, that they have something and it's amazing. Mm. But it's amazing to very specialist journalists or trade media or niche publications, platforms. Yeah. But they think Guardian, Fortune, Wired, Ego. Yes. Or just necessity. They think if they get into those publications, that will... All their problems will disappear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I can call with that story all your wires and fortunes and, and, and Handelsblatt in Germany, whatever you like, but they won't run it. Mm. But if you call the German logistic trade magazine, they love it. Yeah. And actually for that business, that makes way more impact than an article in the Financial Times. Uh, but the client obviously wants to show to his peers, family, in-laws, he wants to show the FT. Yeah, and, yeah and that's that's very true. And I'm, there are certain clients I try to explain that, that that can be a long-term goal, but in the short term, you've got to influence the influencers because there's no way. I mean, I know great journalists on the FT, on the Times, on the Sunday Times, the Observer, the Telegraph, who research their stories correctly and they go to sources within the industries that they're researching about to see what they've written about this particular company yeah. so it's really important that everybody gets a solid foundation in their trade and industry press before they take the next step into the broader national big beat press that everybody sees as the Forbes and the Wired and the Le Mans and the Handelsblatt's that, you know, you need to start with your solid trades, get those influencers understanding and backing you 
and saying, yep, I know them. They do good tech or they do good biscuits or they do good um, <laughs> Great farms, uh, machinery. Do you know what I mean? It's it. Everything has to come at at a certain time. Timing is important and a, a layering and a building of communications. Absolutely. And sometimes these audiences are completely different. I mean, we in previous conversations touched upon this whole new world of blockchain, crypto, currencies, Web3. And I see there's a whole, let's say, media landscape that's completely not even touching, I would say, the rest of the media. The rest of the media has a complete different perspective on that world. They don't communicate. And then you have simply just to accept that you have two strategies, two kinds of object, sets of objectives. The one press release won't work. At some point in a few years is my guess. Obviously, the world which we now call Metaverse, Web3, Blockchain, will more and more collide with the rest of the world and will be absorbed and everything will be more than normal. But for now, if you are a communication professional and if it's more marketing or comms or PR or whatever, but if you are in our field and you have clients that for whatever reason are active in or touching upon this new world of, let's say, digital assets in the widest sense of the world, you have to accept that there will be two media plans, two PR strategies, two stories. There are different worlds. And, and in some other niche sort of, you probably find that as well. Uh, this is not a one-size-fits-all world anymore. Like Lyle already said, there's so many channels, there's so many sub-audiences, all with their own narratives, language, visuals, words. Not one-size-fits-all. If, if I just look at the makeup of my staff to yeah. how they are now, to how they were 10 years ago, you know, I have so many more people involved in digital communications, involved in keyword writing, SEO writing, um, creating visual assets is a massive thing now. Podcast hosting. Podcast hosting, yes. Sorry, Lyle. But only on Friday afternoon, Lyle. <laughs> only on Friday afternoons. There you go. I have a very strict exactly. regimen. You know, I need I... Like Lyle. And this is interesting because we're looking at bringing different skills. A lot of people worry about AI coming in and replacing jobs. And I just see a shift of bringing in different skill sets and utilizing them in different ways across new channels. Because at the end of the day, the content, the core content, that um, hub of messaging and storytelling remains the same. And then the spokes become multitudinous when you're looking at the different channels of communication so one spoke could be a corporate slide share another spoke could be a telegram another spoke could be a metaverse space so completely yeah. agree and and keep in mind that that is the if, if we take that metaphor of the wheel with the spokes that's mm. the technical uh let's say implementation of that mm. but we start this conversation about a proper communication professional needs to have, uh, needs to understand why his client, and the client could be external or internal, why his client wants a certain audience to behave in a certain way. Yeah. And I do see artificial intelligence or whatever sort of other technology that could churn out gazillion amount of tweets or blogs in no time, but identifying what kind of behavior you want from investors 
and why you want it, that it can't, uh, yeah. at least not for now. So <laughs> you'll see that indeed some of the tactical and technical elements of our job might be at least enhanced or more efficient with technology, but the actual seeing where the story is and also seeing why that story needs to be told and to whom and why now, that's something that needs so many, I would say, elements that you can't ring fence that and bring it to a technology platform. I agree. You know, our brains are these massive supercomputers and, yeah, we get tested on chess games and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, is this creative, nuanced, empathetic kind of subconscious slant that you can't really replicate with machine learning and machine technology because we as humans communicate with our own kind of ESP, body language, everything else that I think we nuance our sort of written communications and our storytelling with that I don't think could ever really be truly replaced with AI. I remember being um, part of a big discussion Ziff Davis, do you remember them? Uh, the big publishers, the tech publishers of the 80s and 90s. I was at a big discussion when um, they were saying, uh, there was a debate about whether websites would replace magazines and books. And this was, yeah, we're talking, what, 40, 45 years ago? No, not 40. We're a little bit, I mean, come on, Jackie. <laughs> we're, we're a little bit older, but not 40 years ago. <laughs> no. We're talking 1980. You know, um, I mean, maybe 30 years ago. So I'm, I'm talking late 80s. Oh, there was a twinkle. Yeah. There was a twinkle 30, in my mum's eye. Ago. I'm over-aging us, Richard. <laughs> um, still, you know, but we do still have magazines and we do still have books and we do still have those things because nothing replaces that feel of a good book when you're on a beach, you know. Well, that's, that is, that's true. And the funny thing is, even when you look at trends in, in, in publishing, for instance, than no medium in the world, in world's history, ever replaced others. There's always. After radio came TV, radio's still there, after TV. But the point is that what's left is better. Ah. So it's. That's it, so it, good. It, oh, man. The, I've never thought the, about it that way. That's the, amazing. The new, the new platform trims the fat from the old one. Mm. And now you see that. Funny up, and I, I saw it the last few five years. There's a lot of going on in, in, in print magazine media. I mean, it was very easy to make a magazine, and now it's it's costly, it's difficult, and, and, and people pivot towards digital. But you see print publishers experiment with types of paper, specials that like are almost like a book. Cash end books that you get the yeah. beautiful less frequent publications. So instead of ten times a year, four times a year, but beautiful made, more design. So there's a lot of innovation still happening in magazines. We saw uh, DAB Plus coming in. We of course we saw Clubhouse. You see some other initiatives in audio. Podcast is really big now, uh, which is changing radio. No, it's changing radio. The funny thing is that here in the Netherlands in Amsterdam. Several radio shows have grown their audiences because the radio show is only an hour, mm. but the people on that show could enhance, let's say, the airtime by adding podcasts on top. The podcast got their own audience and they then funnel back to the actual radio show. 
Yeah, that happens a lot over here as well, actually, to be fair. We have radio programs, radio stations like the BBC have podcasts that are actually just repeat streams of the shows themselves, but in podcast form. And people will go, oh, well, I wasn't available one till four to listen to that particular radio program at that time. But, oh, I've had a listen at nine o'clock at night when I'm winding down. Oh, I might find the time to now go and listen to that one till four again tomorrow because I really enjoyed it. And then you get that people are then are introduced to certain characters or certain people or certain formats and then know that it's live on radio every Tuesday on four and then start to be an audience of the, of, of the actual radio show. Yeah. So that's why I personally expect, I mean, to be invited by a proper English language uh, radio station, me, you, Lyle and, 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 and Jackie, because obviously <laughs> people want this, what we today create, they want it every day. I mean, this is- This is about to special. go massive, Richard. You're, you're so right. I'm so glad you brought that up. This is about to go so big, honestly. I, 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 I cannot wait. This, this is it. This is it. It's really interesting. It's really interesting you point out, actually. I was gonna I was gonna pick something up actually, because we, we've talked a, quite a lot about, and this is one of the reasons why I love this podcast as well, because it was like, what was it like going from journalism to uh to working in-house uh, PR? And we have just taken the thread and run with it, which is what I love about this podcast. Spoke a little bit about formatting, about understanding your audience, and also mm-hmm. the conversation we've just been having kind of comes full circle because as I love that analogy, by the way, as media evolves because new technologies come in and trim the fat of what is left behind pr professionals also have to adapt their approach so it kind of comes full circle you have to adapt the audiences you approach the audience you look into we spoke a little bit about the topic of pr in the uk versus pr in europe versus pr you know continentally in email sort of you know exchanges we had before we started this recording richard i mean how does this sort of thing differ worldwide how do people's approaches differ worldwide what different formats do people use in you know the middle east versus over here in the uk because obviously you you know exist in the netherlands but you've just mentioned in passing that you have dealt with publications in Germany you've dealt with publications in the US clients over in in the US as well I mean how how does that differ well the thing is that it's of course geographies differ locations differ massive I would like to point out another let's say distinctive difference between large markets and small markets globally you've got a few large markets obviously the English language market is the biggest by far so for people who are on the B2B side of things, yeah, consumer as well. Really? Uh, I mean, you can get the um, Harper's Bazaar or uh, Wired. You can buy Wired everywhere in the world. That's true. But they're better, to be real honest, they're better German magazines about the whole, I would say, digital business space. But you can only buy them in Germany if you're lucky enough. Yeah. Because nobody reads German apart from the Germans. But no, but getting so you've got some large media markets and... There is a, I would say, vivid, lively landscape. You've got several publications in the same, let's say, flavor. Take women's magazines in the English language, but also take magazines on banking in the English language. They're ample. So it makes sense for a client, for instance, to have a retainer with an English language agency to say, get me publicity, get me media coverage in this niche. Yeah. And they can provide it because there's always a few magazines who run a story. So, But if you go into smaller markets, small in language-wise, my own country, the Netherlands, but also Portugal, Austria, some countries in Asia, the Middle East. In some niches, there's only one magazine. So let's say you are a 
company that provides technology for food companies to label their products. But in smaller media markets, Nordics, France, again, Portugal, there's only one magazine who might want to run your story. Mm. So paying a retainer 12 months a year mm. to get coverage in that country doesn't make sense. No. Because either that particular magazine covers your story this month or they don't. It's a zero-sum game. So that means that basically the investing money in PR in such a market with such a niche product makes no sense. There is no ROI. And then I think if you're a proper communication professional, and we talked earlier about you sometimes need to be firm to your clients or be at least crystal clear, you say, you know what, you want me to do something. And of course, I'm very happy to engage with you. I'm very happy to help you. I'm enormously in love with your budget. <laughs> but but <laughs> we shouldn't spend it on a retained PR situation. We should look at digital. We should look at maybe build something bespoke for this particular market in this particular language. Maybe we should look at a newsletter because you won't be satisfied. I mean, in, in markets like Spain, huge, Germany, huge, there is ample, let's say, going on in the media landscape. But when you look at continental Europe, there are many markets where traditional PR, especially the, the way PR was conducted, it doesn't well, add up. You are absolutely right. And I totally agree with you. It's incumbent upon us as professionals to advise clients on how to use their budget. One of the reasons, and, and I've got to jump on this, because one of the reasons we set up my global partner network of agencies, Global One Communications, of which I am the president, which is only a notionary title, a nominal title, because nobody else would take it. I'm the one that's responsible. Um, but no, but seriously, it's a great group of independent agencies, been going for 20 years to do just that, to service a particular need in a smaller territory that might not justify that, you know, huge retainer relationship that happens over sort of a period of a year when the target audience and the target media might be particularly small and easily identifiable. I still think that there is no replacement for men on the ground, for people who know their own culture, know their own audience, know them. Because we talked about that packaging, didn't we? We talked about being able to take something and give it in the package that the journalist, the local journalist wants. And that packaging includes culture. So absolutely, absolutely. And, and what you should do, I think, and then we talk, like Lyle already mentioned in, in continental European PR, boots on the ground, like Jackie mentioned, but when the job is done, the job is done. And if you want to provide that client with value, you say, look, you actually have one story this year. We are happy to bring it to the Nordics, to the Benelux, to France, to Spain, to Italy. We'll do a two month, one quarter project in every market yeah. in that particular time frame we spent we accomplish a goal hence in your important trade magazine there are only one or two left in that market we get some coverage but we accept that the rest of the year it will be very unlikely that you'll be covered again by the same swedish whatever magazine so let's then say stop spending in sweden move to the next country yes. so where you would obviously have an always on campaign in the uk because this English language is read all out over Europe, specific B2B. There are always uh, ample publications available. So I would always say have a proper retainer in the UK and make sure that every month stuff happens. But certain parts in Europe, 
Germany and Spain, by for instance, the same as they are also sizable markets with sufficient publications. But in other markets, I would say do a blitz, three months, mission accomplished, done, move on, see you next year. And that um, is the bespoke approach of a professional speaking. You know, it, it's getting that balance right. It's making sure you have continuity of message across all your target media in the right way. Can I just ask a quick question? I'm kind of going slightly off piece here. But I've really I've seen recently, probably in the last four, three, four years, that a lot of the trade publications that you would necessarily want to get your client into are now moving much more towards paid content in the UK. Are you seeing that in European publications as well? Yeah, you see it. You see it. It's it's and that has to do with less editorial staff, higher cost, risk. So pay to play is something that is more and more. That brings us to two elements, I think, in public relations that are extremely important to every company. It's one, understand that you're a publisher yourself because you can't, in many cases, rely anymore on independent journalism slash public publishers. So you have to think about, of course, a media relations strategy, but in a larger PR strategy, what do you communicate yourselves? Because let's face it, Google does not discriminate. So if you have proper content online, and there's also proper content online in your favorite trade magazine, but Google rate them just the same. So be a, a publishing company yourself. And the second thing is, and that's underestimated, build massive relationships with your trade body, industry body, uh, industry association, because more and more we see specific in your more B2B environments that where I would say formally, independent journalism provided third-party credibility and created eyeballs on whatever message you had to convey. We now see that that the newsletter of the industry body takes that role. The annual whatever publication of the trade association takes that role. So because they're independent, they give that third-party credibility, they have less sort of commercial urge to have you pay for content so i would always recommend to people make sure that you are very close with whoever sort of is a body in your sector because that will help you start one start a body in your sector because that's another thing that's happening in tech i see a lot of new tech come through for example audio there isn't yet a really good body when it comes to audio as a whole, when it comes to podcasts, when it comes to adverts, when it comes to adverts, audio adverts, even in games. There isn't a great audio industry body yet that I can think of. Do you know any? <laughs> well, Lyle Fulton. I'm right here, right? <laughs> this is the thing. I mean, like that kind of, I'm going to choose to breeze past that and, and not count that as rude. I'm right here. Uh, no, no, but I'm I'm not my own business. Uh, you know, Lyle Fulton LLC, I can see it now. That's, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm really keen on that. I mean, but it's, it, Jackie Mays is a, a really, really interesting point. I mean, I feel like there's still like a ways to go, even though things are, you know, really evolving and new technologies sort of appearing all the time. It kind of leads me on to a final question I was going to ask you, actually, Richard, as well, because we've covered so much. Again, I just love this episode. I kind of feel like when we have guests on, I occasionally cop out and just kind of sit back and just learn loads of stuff. Um, so I feel very, very informed now. We spoke earlier on, though, a little bit about fintech 
and fintech is kind of growing exponentially, as I'm sure you know you're aware. Working in that space, mm-hmm. I mean, where do you see that going? Where do you see technology? You know, while I'm setting up Lawful and LLC, which is an audio specialism company uh, and a content creation company, wh- what's fintech going to be doing parallel to my trajectory? Joking, obviously, but yeah, what's where's where's fintech going? This is my bread and butter because we are in that industry, and I will say it will dissolve because let's face it, fintech will be embedded. What we now call fintech and is a little bit isolated from traditional fin. And some people try to build that fantastic app for wealth management or buy something remittance and have it on their phone. Eventually, I think that the traditional financial service providers, insurance firms, banks, payment firms will absorb the whole fintech industry. And what also will happen is that a lot of retailers or companies that provide services or goods to SMEs will simply embed the financial element of whatever transaction within their products. So the fintech in itself will be something that you won't see, won't notice, won't experience. It's there, but it's technology that will, let's say... So do you think that the the brand of the fintech and the... You think it'd be much more like a white-labeled technology into larger propositions I, I would i would go as both and i can be on the christmas special of this amazing amazing <laughs> podcast that i don't think in europe there is one fintech that actually makes serious money they're all mm. losing money they're all amazing experiments we learned a lot um, mm. developed a lot and it, it was very timely and it's very needed to basically create some sort of uh, new momentum with a lot of financial services firms who were obviously very sort of a dull, uh, laid back, arrogant, change averse. But all these neobanks that are around, none yeah. of them make money. None of them make money. Uh, they're all running into issues with the regulators. We'll see that, the, so to answer your question, Lyle, that fintech as a separate end segment it will be absorbed within the financial services industry and that will change i mean no bank can do without an app they thought they could 10 years ago but now they can't but now they all have an app i don't see why i need an n26 or a revolut account because to be honest every bank in europe offers the same service as a revolut okay three years later but they still do it (laughs) <laughs> so yeah fintech is amazing sector but same there will be gazillion companies supplying for instance the automotive industry companies yeah. you never heard of but without that company your car won't drive yeah that, that company doesn't seek a brand for itself it doesn't seek recognition with a larger audience uh, but still it's essential to get your car moving the same will happen in finance where uh, a bank will offer all kinds of services and they'll do so because they are supported and helped with many what we today call fintechs. But then the fintech itself is not visible to the actual user. There are two reasons I love that answer. The first is, is that it was just brilliantly informative. And I think you're absolutely spot on. The second is you brilliantly played with the podcast dramatic structure, which is that you dropped a big, bold statement right at the top of the answer and then explained why that's not necessarily what you meant. And as an actor, first and foremost, it was just pure 
solid goal. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I love, and I also love ending in an, an episode of the pod on a bit of drama. Not that that was drama, Richard, of course it wasn't, but I love ending this, you know, sort of pretty niche, using a word that we've used quite a lot. Uh, I haven't used quantum today. Oh, there it is. There it is. There you go. See, I use quantum all the time, but ending is sort of a niche style <laughs> Christmas episode yeah. on a bit of drama. Uh, Richard, thank you so much. I think we'll call it there because we've just absolutely explored the full sort of range of things when it comes to the financial services, PR, fintech, PR, you know continental versus uk english language i think it's been absolutely brilliant i've just listeners i mean you if you watch the video you'll see i've just sat back and gone yep just absorb, just absorb. this is all amazing well hopefully i sort of will be back at some point i mean i yeah. will obviously if people respond on social media bring richard back hashtag bring richard back i'll, I'll, I'll be back and, and and uh everybody lyle jackie amazing holidays enjoy the remaining of the year yeah. we'll all Kickstart in 2023 with enthusiasm and positive and, and we'll uh, probably see each other one way or another. We Absolutely will. brilliant. I am going to start personally. I'm going to make it my mission to start hashtag bring Richard back. And I am the one in charge of making that happen <laughs> along with Jackie. So it actually makes little to no sense for me to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Richard, Thank you so much, Richard Neve from Cognito Media. That has been an absolutely brilliant episode. I'm just going to do my final T's and C's uh, before the Christmas period. Thank you so much, listeners, for being with us on the latest episode of The Rest is PR. If you would like to get in touch with us uh, to suggest a topic, or even if, like Richard, you'd like to appear on the podcast yourself, it's info at demozo.com or info at therestispr.com. If you'd like to read a little bit more about what we're up to on the podcast, the website's growing all the time. That is therestispr.com. And as ever, if you want to catch up on what demozo have been up to then you can head over to demozo.com it would be remiss of me not to also include that if you yeah new website new website as well and also if you want to see what cognito media have been up to and why wouldn't you because they are an absolutely fabulous company go and check them out and that's how i was able to sort of glean that richard didn't quite come into contact with citygate when my dad was there um and dad once again so so sorry for bringing that up even though you told me not to over the phone Uh, then head over look up cognito media because they're doing some absolutely brilliant work richard thank you so much once again for being on the podcast jackie I would say same time again next week, but same time again after Christmas. Yeah. Let's do it, shall we? War into 2023 with some more. The rest is PR. And thank you so much, listeners, for being with us so far. And we will join you next time for another exciting installment of The Rest is PR. From Jackie, Richard and myself, it's bye for now. Bye.